Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Work From Your Happy Place, the podcast that equips you with the knowledge and inspiration to live your dreams and find your own happy place. You will be encouraged by and learn from entrepreneurs and artists who are already working from their happy place, all while pursuing their passion with a purpose. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a recap of the week's guests and a preview of what's in store. We also have two special gifts for you, a video, the five core principles to living a happier life, and a printable download titled, Top 10 Sales Strategies. Go to workforyourhappyplace.com forward slash free. Fill out the attached form to receive your gifts and be added to our newsletter. And now, here's your host, Belinda Ellsworth. Hi, it's Belinda here. And before we get started with today's show, I'd like to tell you about some exciting things coming soon that I think you're going to love. After over 500 episodes, we've discovered so many tips, tools, and bits of knowledge that we want to share it all with you. So this spring, we are launching a brand new online community and quarterly subscription box. Here's how it works. Each quarter, you'll receive an amazing box full of items to bring you happiness in both work and in life. Each box includes items designed by entrepreneurs just like yourself for your home, office, personal care, and so much more. It will also contain a business book and our acts of kindness shareables so you can show appreciation to your customers and anyone who needs to be lifted up. In the months between box deliveries, you'll learn from an amazing community of business owners, including guided trainings on business skills and personal development a book club that features Q&A time directly with that month's author and a monthly featured guest from whom you'll learn strategies to grow your own business. You'll learn from one another through our private group as well as our live monthly Q&A session where you can get all of your questions answered. Sound exciting? How would you like a free six-month subscription? To enter, get on our VIP list by going to workfromyourhappyplace.com forward slash VIP. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited about our show today. This is our artist edition of the show, and today I have Susie Singer-Carter with me, and she is a multi-award-winning filmmaker, writer, director, producer, actor, podcast producer, host, and caregiver advocate. She is best known for writing, directing, and producing the 2018 Oscar-qualified short film, My Mom and the Girl, starring Valerie Harper in her final performance. Writing and producing Bratz the Movie for Liongate and co-producing Soul Surfer for Sony. She is the host of Love Conquers All's 
podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome Susie to our show today. Thank you, Belinda. It's a pleasure to be here. We did it. We did it. It's so fun. So I have people that reach out to people on my behalf and get guests. But every now and again, I see people on LinkedIn or I see people on Instagram and I'm like, oh, I'd like to get them. But then the problem is I don't follow through like because I'm not always checking that shame on me. But it was like I just sometimes I'm surfing and I'm like, oh, this person looks really interesting. And then the other day I thought, oh, I better check my notes. So everybody listening out there, man, check your messages. (laughs) Because you miss out on great opportunities. Isn't that the truth? That's the problem. Like That's the plus and the negative of social media. It really opens the world, but it's really labor intensive. It is. And then I've got messages coming in from like six different categories. And you're like, where was that? Who was that? So it's trying to sort of connect the dots there. Right. Well, thank you. We did it. That's why I said we did it, which is a feat. You know, you think it'd be easier, but it's actually not. As you said, it can get very daunting. It can sometimes. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Fill in the gaps of this bio, kind of where it all began. Tell us about your journey and how you became this amazing award-winning producer in all things. Like you're amazing. Oh, well, I'm not really amazing, but thank you. I'm just a hard worker and I'm very passionate about telling stories because I think that, you know, in my trajectory of my adult life, I realized, you know, I started off as a writer and then I got sidetracked into being in front of the camera for a while and then, but always continuing writing and producing and creating stories because I think that power of my purpose is in telling stories. And so, and if I have to be in front as an artist, that's fine too but it's no longer, and it hasn't been for a while, my focus, but my focus is to leave something, leave a gift with everybody, whether it's a laugh or a perspective or, you know, just letting people know that they're not alone and it doesn't have to be serious. You know, I'm working on a film right now called Run, which is, I was hired to adapt a book and it's dramedy and it's really, you know, has nothing to do with caregiving or anything like that. It's really a woman's, you know, journey of sort of pinning herself into the corner during a marriage. And anyway, the point is, is that at the end of the day, the story leaves you with something to think about. And that's important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Where did the interest come in doing the work that you're doing? Well, I mean, it came from my affinity towards storytelling and also my affinity towards having a purpose beyond me and really broadening myself and seeing if I can take what I do, which is my skill set, and see what good can I do with it. Because as I get older in life and I realize, you know, what is meaningful for me is to help others or to pay it forward and pay whatever I've learned along in my journey. And, you know, listen, I've had, a, as we all do, we all have colorful journeys and we either going to move on and forget about the bad times and never let them enter our review again, or we lean into it and we pay it forward and we share what we've learned. Yeah. With other people. And to me, that's far more rewarding is to pay it forward and to see that if, you know, like in my short film, My Mom and the Girl, my story that I thought was so unique to me. And why would anybody want to hear about my journey with my mother? Just yet again, another film about Alzheimer's. But lo and behold, when you tell a story authentically, And don't leave it out. Don't take a perspective. Like allow the whole story to permeate the good, the bad, the ugly, the funny, the sad, everything. You really are speaking human language and it penetrates 
and it resonates and it resonates with everybody. It goes past language barriers. It's a human story. And so I find that so validating and so thrilling. And yeah, so that's where I got here. So you talk about that being one of your memorable or favorite projects that you've worked on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that short? Sure. And then that led to your podcast. So tell us a little bit about that. As I said, my mother had got Alzheimer's for 16 years, which is a very long time. So you're either going to lean into Alzheimer's or you're going to fighting like hell does nothing because you cannot fight that disease. That disease is coming whether you like it or not. So you have to figure out how to navigate and enjoy because it can be a very long journey. You want to figure out a way to get the most out of that loved one that you have as they're progressing in their journey. You know, like as in any journey, if you look at Michael J. Fox with Parkinson's, you know, his physicality is really, command of his physicality is diminishing much more quickly than his cognitive ability. But so what his family and friends are doing are leaning into what he can do, not what he can't do. So they're not saying, well, you know, you can't play guitar because look at your hands, you're useless. You know, you can't, you're shit. That's not what they're focusing on. They're focusing on the fact that he still has a phenomenal sense of humor and a phenomenal perspective on life. And he's loving and he's talented and he's all those things that he ever was. So they're leaning into that. And the same goes with Alzheimer's. I learned, I made every mistake in the book, caring with my mom, who's my one of my favorite people in the entire world, thinking I was, you know, I'm not a narcissist, but this was probably my most narcissistic time in my life thinking, oh yeah, no, other people don't know how to handle Alzheimer's. We got this mom. We're going to kick its butt. And because you think that you are better than everyone else and you're going to be able to handle it. Well, we, I couldn't kick its butt. Alzheimer's is an equal opportunity disease and it doesn't suffer anything. It takes what it wants. So what we need to do is take what's still there and we need to enjoy and treasure what's still left because there's a, to the day my mother passed a year ago this month and to the day that she died and she was there. She may not have been able to use her articulate, but it, neither do babies right? But we communicate with children. And so what in my film, what I wanted to do was I wanted to show the day in the life when my mom was living with me. And I wanted to show the good, bad, ugly and all, but mostly the good. Yeah. And I wanted to show that, you know, this is how we're navigating this. My little story. This is how I'm dealing with my mom calling me a whore out of nowhere. There's the woman that adores me that goes, you know, open the goddamn door at four in the morning because she's looking for her baby. Well, that's not my mom. That's the disease. Right. You know, five minutes later, her breaking into tears and going, you got to put me in a home. You have to live your life because then she's having a moment of lucidity and she knows that this disease is horrendous. And I look at her and say, oh, you're going. Because <laughs> humor is everything, right? And my mom looks at me and goes, oh, okay, when? <laughs> we'll get there. We'll, we'll figure it out, but you're not ready yet. So, you know, and so the film came out of this day in the life of my mom, who was extraordinary with people and could open doors with everybody. And this what happened in this movie, which I won't go through, was so extraordinary. And it really told the story of how a disease can, while it steals other parts of you, it amplifies other parts that are still so wonderful. And my mom was able to touch people deep, deep into them and change and make profound changes as people did with her that were open. So this was one of those stories. And I don't know if anybody in your audience will remember Valerie Harper. I hope they do. I hope they do too. (laughs) 
Because I sure do. She played Rhoda, you know, on Mary Tyler Moore. And then she ended up having her own show called Rhoda. And this is her last performance in my film. And she was America's sweetheart. And she truly earned that that moniker because she was one of the most dear human beings I've ever met. And she embodied my mother like no other and loved this project, felt it so deep in her soul, met my mom, spent time with my mom on her own, adored my mom. She really was, she was the doppelganger from my mother in all ways. So I was so, so grateful to have had her give her expression of this project and of this story. And I was able to, I mean, we went to Cannes, we won the PBS Fine Cuts Award, which is so prestigious things. And I'm saying that because look how powerful little stories are. We think that they're not powerful, but they are. Wow. That's amazing. And I'm sure that has helped a lot of people kind of going through similar situations. Is that sort of what led to your podcast then? Like, I want to continue this journey and helping others? A hundred percent. You know, I felt like we ended up calling my mom and the girl a joyous look at Alzheimer's, which sounds ridiculous, but it was, and it continues to be. And I wanted to change a bit as much as I could. This one person, Susie Singer-Carter, I wanted to try to change the conversation because there's so much ableism and, you know, there's bias all over the place. People with cognitive deficiencies, you know, and Alzheimer's is extremely, there's a lot of bias against Alzheimer's. People don't understand. It. So I wanted people to at least try to wrap their head around what it might be like in a realistic way, because there's been a lot of films that I, as a person who has been a caregiver for someone with Alzheimer's, I feel like it missed the mark. So it's misrepresenting what the disease really is. Big films and films that, but it really did a disservice to the disease and to the journey of the disease. And it wasn't as respectful, though. They haven't been as respectful as they should have been in terms of what it really is. So I did. I felt like every letter I got, every every stranger I hugged and cried with of all ages, from teenagers to people over the, you know, in their 70s and 80s, who said, Oh, you told my story. You told my grandma's story. You told my wife's story. You told my brother's story. You told blah, blah, blah. And I was like, This is a conversation that needs to be continued. And so that's why we started Love Conquers Alls. And I've been enjoying keeping that conversation going. And that's why. And then that story, you know, my journey with my mom has now led me to doing a documentary, which is not a joyous look at anything. It's really a tragic look at our healthcare system and specifically our nursing home industry, which has been an industry for 40 years. And I watched my mom suffer it in the last six months of her life. Even though I was there as an advocate, I could not save her from the suffering. And it's horrendous. So I am in the middle of producing a documentary called No Country for Old People. Okay. And it is absolutely what the title says. There really is no country for old people anymore. Wow. And it is a crisis. It is a worldwide crisis. It is a human rights crisis. And we are tragically warehousing our elders for money. There's a whole industry out there that is making billions and billions of dollars off people suffering. Gosh. It has to stop. So that's really where my focus is, aside from my other film that I told you about, which is a dramedy, which is, you know, a relief because this project is a beast. And we're doing a nonprofit with National Consumer Voice of Quality Health Long-Term Care, which have been an amazing organization since 1975. But that gives you an idea of how long this issue has been around. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So everybody kind of has their superpowers, Susie. Their skill set sort of help them navigate through their journey of business. And what do you think yours are? What have you identified as your super skill sets or your superpowers? 
think I'm certifiably nuts. I mean, honestly, I'm joking, but it's true because especially in my industry, there's so many challenges and the challenges are endless. If you conquer one challenge, trust me, there's 10 more around the corner, you know, as being a filmmaker and especially a woman. And so my superpower is, is that I am passionate about what I'm doing. So nothing's ever going to stop me from it. Nothing. It doesn't matter. I have resigned myself to doing almost everything independently, which is fine by me. And it's better because I have control over what is communicated and how my projects are released into the world. And I like it better. And resilience is part of that superpower. And being a resilient human being is that because you are going to, no matter what career you're in, no matter what, it doesn't matter if you are entrepreneurial or if you're part of a bureaucracy, whatever it is, you must be resilient in order to, to maintain, to continue on. You know, you have to realize that every day there's good and bad and the good doesn't define who you are because that's fleeting and the bad doesn't define who you are because that too is fleeting. Wow, that is so true in a really powerful statement. I hope our listeners take note of that, you know, because I talk a lot about this in business. It's like people on the outside looking in say, oh, I would never want your like all the troubles that you're having. It's like, well, you just put yourself out there and more things you're going to have more challenges. It's like, I just look at that as a day in the life of doing business. And so I don't even stop and like dwell on, oh, this was some major challenge. It's like, okay, today I'm having an issue with X. And so, okay, let's fix X. Okay, continue on. I don't define that as my whole career of being filled with challenges every day. I just look at it as the day in the life of doing business. And it's funny, though, the people on the outside that want to say to you, I'd never want your life, but yet they do. They want the good parts of it. Right. And that's fine. Some people aren't entrepreneurial and may, and some people can't. That's not where they live and they don't want to and it would drain them and they don't, it doesn't fit who they are. And that's fair enough. But, you know, I can't sit down and not do anything. That's not my life. I would feel like I was just, you know, drifting away. I was like, that would not be living for me. So what I do is not work for me, even though it's so much work physically and mentally and all that stuff, but it's what I enjoy and what I love. So I'm driven to it. it I I'm excited every day. So, and I think that's a key to doing, even if you don't want to be entrepreneurial, whatever you're doing, there's lots of choices. You have choices. You don't have to work. If you're working nine to five, that's fine. But find a nine to five that really makes you, that floats your boat. Like find something that, that you like. Do you like fashion? Then work nine to five fashion. Who cares? Maybe you're not going to make a million dollars. Is a million dollars what you really want? I mean, you have to think about it. What everything we own is borrowed. So think about that. What are we doing? Uh, yes, is it being wealthy? Great. It can be. It, but it also doesn't define who you are because that's also fleeting. This too shall pass, good and bad. Look at me being all profound at 10 in the morning. I know. Oh, my gosh. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
So one of the things that is so important for really everybody, but artists specifically, but it's, I think this is where they're better at it than some of the entrepreneurs, but what are some ways that you get yourself known, that you engage with your fan base, that you put it out there? So you want to share just a couple of ideas? Yeah, I still think that's probably one of the biggest challenges. And I did, I never really, when something clicks, but I can tell you with my mom and the girl, I didn't put a lot of effort into my social media. I did what I've always do with everything. I find social media, I think I, before we started recording, I, I have a love-hate relationship with social media because there's so much good about it. And then the other way, it's so intrusive in your life. It's so intrusive. If I really tended to my social media as I think other people do... I would have to 50% of my day on social media and I don't want to do that. I don't like it. I feel like it's taking me out of what I could be doing more productively than scrolling through a string of feed of everybody's life. There's it's really too much information. Right. So when you ask me how I do try to keep people abreast of what I'm doing, especially if I think it's important and if it resonates, then I'm happy. With my mom and the girl, it resonated and I didn't put a lot of effort into it, but my following exponentially like quadrupled on its own. And I think that's because, and for me, this is just me. I want it to be meritorious. I want it to be organic and otherwise what it's meaningless. It's empty. It's like crypto. It's just nothing. And let me just, in a naive way, throw this out to your audience because this is something that I've been thinking a lot about even connecting with your audience and how do you connect authentically with all the noise that's out there. And I see that there's, you know, especially in the community of caregiving, I have two different communities. I have my filmmaking community and then I have my caregiving community. And in the caregiving community, you know, it's gotten really dense. There's a lot of people out there and a lot of podcasts and blogs and vlogs and you name it. And there's a lot of competition in terms of followers and listeners and all that stuff because that translates into advertising and money. That's how you make your money in this business model. But for me, and because of that, I'm very sensitive about these numbers. Like, are they real? Are people buying these numbers? Because they don't seem appropriate for what they're doing, you know? And so I know that there's ways to build the system. I'm not interested in building the system. I don't care if I, it's not an ego thing for me if I have a hundred thousand followers or 12,000 followers. All I care about is am I reaching people with my projects and is it resonating? So to answer your question, I'm not selling widgets. So that's not what my goal is to have a fan base that's so big because they're buying my widgets. But I do see people that aren't selling widgets that are selling conversations or stories like myself that have numbers that just don't make sense to me. They don't seem possible. And I keep bringing this up within my community saying, we're really causing a disservice to everybody that's trying to pay it forward because if you're putting out, again, it's like crypto, it's not real currency, it's fake currency, but you still, in some ways, if you want to get your message out, you have to play in that fake currency realm. And now what is real and what's not? Does that make sense to you? Is that what I'm trying to say? Yes, it does make sense on what you're trying to say. In the pre-interview questions that we had, you said sharing what you're doing and sharing behind the scenes. So, well, that's practical. What is interesting to what I found? What is interesting to the audience? And as this is as a filmmaker, 
So I also had a podcast during COVID that is still out there. It's called I Love Lucifer. It's a comedy horror. It's a scripted show. And we won many awards and with that. And that was all done during COVID. It was a pilot that we had at Fox originally. And we thought, oh, it's so boring during COVID. My partner and I, let's just do a full series of this, you know, scripted podcast. It's funny, it's scary, and it's fun. And you know, so I found that the audience, the way to attract them was to show them, look how we make this, look at the behind the scenes. People love that. People want to be part of the process. They really do. And I think that's fun. And maybe that would resonate with people that are making widgets. Like, hey, this is how I make this app. Like, bring me into the process. How do you make an app? I don't know. Well, that's kind of interesting. You know, like think about what traditional programming on television has always been. It's like, Bring us into an area that we can't be in, in our regular lives, so that we get to participate in things that we normally can't participate in. So I noticed that when I would show behind the scenes of what we're doing, like editing or the voiceover, or here's how we're making our sound effects, you know, during COVID, like this is how we make the monster sound effects, you know, because we can't find any real vampires. So we have to make up vampires, right? So this is how we do it. People love that because if they're not in the industry, and even if they are, they're like, oh, well, we never made it like that. That's really cool, you know? So I think that if you, the more you can personalize it and bring people into your world, that's fun and that's attractive, that's compelling, as opposed to just asking them to follow you, buy things from you, like you, you know, share you, like give things to that people. And listen, it's the wild, wild west out there, I think, still. So, but this is my opinion, and I think it's really just human nature that people don't want to be asked to give back all the time. It's it's annoying. You know, it's like having cold calls, you know, constantly when we used to get that, right? And you're like, oh, it's another sales call. No, we don't want sales calls. We want to be given something of value. Right. Absolutely. Right? I mean, that's what I've learned. You know, I used to stand on my laurels and say, well, my work is really good. If people should gravitate towards it, it should be meritorious, but there's too much noise out there. No matter what field you're in, there's just a lot of noise because there's a lot of humanity. So another kind of tough question for most of our artists is how do you navigate the creative side of the business? Because that's where artists generally are shining (laughs) into the business side of the business of the art. So that's a hard one because I think I told you in my pre-interview is that as an artist, we're very, if there's a lot of bravado, it's usually not real because we're, we're compensating our immense insecurity and sensitivity. I'm very open about being completely sensitive and, and probably too sensitive. I'll admit to that, that I'm a possibly too sensitive, but I'm not willing to give that up because I think we need sensitivity as an artist. And I think when if you lose that, you're going to lose your relationship with people. I mean, we should be confident, but we also should be cognizant of our insecurities because we all have insecurities. Every single one of us. Different ones that show up at different times, like sometimes when you least expect it, right? Yeah, it can throw you so badly. And I think that so in terms of being an artist and really engaging with the business side of being a creative person, when you first start out and you are sensitive, you feel insecure. You're very reliant on other people's response because that's what you're doing is you're putting out something creative and hoping that it's going to touch people. And so if they're not getting touched or moved, 
in the way that you think it should happen, you might start looking inward and ruminating over that and thinking, what am I doing wrong? They don't like me. My art's not good. How can I ask for more money when my art is terrible? Obviously, people aren't relating to it. I'm not worthy. I need to go work harder and harder and harder till I'm worthy. Well, now I look at myself now and if I had to tell my 20-year-old self about what's worthy is like, you are worthy. Right. And you are talented. Your talent is good and it's unique because nobody's the same unless you're completely stealing from other people. But even the best people steal from great people. You know, even if a comedian steals material from another comedian, they have to make it their own. They have to be talented enough to make it their own. And so good on you. If you can do that without getting caught and you happen to make it your own, well, then you're doing a good job and that's fine. And believe me, I'm not a stand-up, but that is A number one, steal from the best. That's what they do. And it's okay. It takes a long time to realize that that's okay. And that you are, it's not stealing, you're being inspired. It's inspiring, but you have to have the confidence to know that whatever you do is your own take, your own perspective, your own creativity. And that sets you apart. And that you as a creative person, as anybody in business has a right to be compensated for your work. Again, going back to widgets, we're not selling widgets, we're selling ideas, we're selling stories, we're selling our perspective, our voice, we're selling our voice. And if someone doesn't like your voice on one day, that can throw you for months. Whereas you could have the most incredible feedback about your work. Oh my God, this is amazing. You're so talented. You're this, you're that. Where did you come from? And someone, then you'll walk by and go, did you? That was horrible. Wow, she sucks. And that's all you can think about. And by the way, they might've been talking about someone else, but because we're so sensitive, we're going to assume they're talking about us. That's so true. So as a creative, pull yourself together, look at yourself, try to put yourself on a shelf and go, how would you look at you from somebody else's point of view and give yourself the grace to know that you, if you've lasted long enough or you're lasting or you have the passion and you're, not, and you're in the game and you're in it to win it, whatever the winning is, however you identify winning, then you deserve. It's like the writer's strike that we're going through right now. We, you know, for years and years and years and years and years, my whole career, I have gotten paid zero for coming in and pitching ideas that are my gold. That's my project. That's my product. And they've got all these producers that are there going, great, thank you. We'll let you know. And can you leave that right up behind for no money? Like they're just getting all our work and all of our creativity for free. And this is what this strike is about is like, no, pay us for all our work. Pay us. You know, you don't expect to go into a consultation with any other industry without paying for a consultation. When someone's actually giving you information, creativity, you know, someone comes in and does some blueprints for a home. Do you pay for those? Of course you do. Of course you do. And even if you don't like it, if you go, you know what? Thank you. Here's your $5,000. I'm not going to go in that direction. Fair enough, but you should get paid for your work. It's not incumbent on us as creatives to make sure that you like what we do. Do you like it? Great. You don't? Great. But still you have to pay us because you asked for that work. So you have to look at yourself as a commodity and that you're worthy of it. You're worthy to ask for it to be paid. And sometimes being and saying no is a great tool. Yes. It's a powerful tool. Absolutely. So this is kind of our signature question of the show. And Susie, you've really sort of answered it many times over, but we'll frame it in this specific context. And that is what does working from your happy place mean to you? 
Yes, I think I did say it, but I'll see if I can. <laughs> I mean, working from my happy place is doing, be working in your purpose and loving what you do so that you can't imagine doing anything else. And if you wake up every morning and go, I cannot wait to get to my computer. Or if you're an athlete, I cannot wait to hit the ground running. Or metaphorically, I can't wait to hit the ground running, right? And then that is a happy place. Whether you sell the project, whether you get your gold medal, whatever it is, that's the cherry on top. But the enjoy the journey, that's the happy place because that's all we really have at the end of the day is our journey, right? So enjoy your journey. I love that so much. So in closing, what advice do you have to maybe some aspiring young filmmakers out there that are thinking, I kind of want to get into, what advice would you have for them? Well, I don't know if I wrote in my uh, notes to you, but I'll try to say it quickly there and I'll, I'll bastardize this story that, that is a, a beautiful metaphor. It's about a friend of mine who was in their backyard and they were looking at, they were reading outside with their husband and, and they saw this spider web that went from one tree on one side of the yard all the way to another tree on the other side of the yard, right? And my friend was like, huh, that is so bizarre. Like, how does that spider weave their web across this like space? to get to the other side, right? So she said, I don't know, look it up, Google it. So she starts writing, how does a spider weave its web across? And it just floods with answers. And the truth, and what happens is that how does a spider weave their web across from one one location to the other? Well, they don't. They don't do that. What a spider does is weave their web. They're weavers. So they weave and they weave all every day. That's what they do. They're master weavers. And then the wind takes their web and takes it to where it's supposed to go. So weave your web. Are you a writer? Write. Are you a dancer? Dance. Are you a songwriter? Write. Do your thing and do it really well. That Be the master of your web making, right? And let the wind take it where it's supposed to go. That's such a beautiful story and, and a really good analogy, I think, for people to hang on to when they're feeling like, gosh, what am I doing? And you just have to sort of trust the process, right? Yeah. Do what you can. You can't control other people's opinions. What you can control is your work and what you do. Absolutely. So Susie, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. And where can our listeners find you? You can find me, Susie Singer Carter, on every single platform. Because I love being on social media all day long. I'm joking, but you can find me everywhere. And I can I just throw a PR to my documentary, which is so important to me, which is No Country for Old People. And we have a GoFundMe. It's all tax deductible because of our fiscal sponsor, the National Consumer Voice. If you look us up, No Country for Old People on GoFundMe, just look it up, please. Whatever you can spare because we're funding this ourselves. We're halfway through. It's going, it is a phenomenal project. It will make a difference. It's about making a collective shift of consciousness because there's too much ageism and ableism. And this story is not just my mom's story. It's your story. Absolutely. And I think shedding light on it is something that until you're in it, you really don't have any clue what's going on. 100%. And and then all of a sudden, you're suddenly in a caregiver situation. And I found myself in recent years and times and my mom just gave up her driver's license and her car like, I know, so sad about three months ago. And I'm sad for her and that's terrible. But now I have got to be her chauffeur for everything. And, And at first I was just like, oh my gosh, this is such a drag for me. Like this is just, it's taking up more time. And then 
But I have to stop and pause and think, what a drag for her to give up something that's so incredibly an independence that is... It's her identity. It's everything. You know, having your freedom, it's a huge step in your life to have that removed from you, that independence. At the end of the day, all I can tell you as a caregiver who's lost their mom last year, you can't feel, you won't be more rewarded than being there for your mom. And that you, when you lean into it and you go, I want to be doing this. Why do I have to be doing this? Why do I have to take her to a doctor? And I remember someone telling me who had lost their mom like halfway through my, my journey saying, I wish my mom was still here with her Alzheimer's. I miss her so much. And I tell you, I miss my mom so much and I always will. And I'm so glad that I leave into her caregiving because it is the most rewarding thing that you will ever do. Absolutely. Well, Susie, this has been delightful. Thank you so much for being my guest today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's awesome. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us. We know that you have a choice of where to spend your time and we're both very thankful that you chose to spend it with us today. Please follow or subscribe so you don't miss a single great episode. And we'll see you next time on Work From Your Happy Place. 